Justin Cosby was murdered on May 19th, 2009, and this is his mother's story. Mourning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. A huge shout out to Jane for her Patreon contribution. It is greatly appreciated. Thank you. Hello. Hi, Denise. It's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. Cambridge is a city in Middlesex County, Massachusetts, and is a major suburb of Boston. This city, in the United States, was named after Cambridge University in England and first saw homes built in 1631. This tragic story brings us to the famed Harvard University. Harvard, built in 1636, was first named New College, renamed after benefactor John Harvard, who bequeathed half of his estate and his entire library to the school upon his death. In the mid-19th century, Cambridge became renowned as a literary centre, being home to some of the famed fireside poets, named so as families would read their poems aloud by their fires. While in Cambridge, Harvard Square is a must-visit with its quirky boutiques, cafes, bookstores, and buskers. You can also see the famed Blaschke glass flowers at the Harvard Museum of Natural History. If you enjoy art, head over to another world-famous university, Massachusetts Institute of Technology, otherwise known as MIT, and see works by Pablo Picasso. You can take a self-guided tour there and revel in its amazing architecture and sculptures. Cambridge is a student town and a place where every young person should feel safe. This, however, is not always the case. What was he like as a child? Oh, Justin was, he, he was always a energetic, fun, loving little boy. He was a mama's boy right from the beginning. Um, he had a, I, he grew up with one older sister and um, myself. So he grew up in a household of women. He always had a smile on his face. He was um, very, very um, loving. He had lots of friends right from the beginning. He was a sociable little one who got along very well with others. He loved to play with his little um, figures. You know, um, they had those, all of those um, figures at the time where they would, you know, imaginary, uh, the Hulk, uh, all kinds of figures. So um, he loved to play with them and he loved to play basketball. He played on many teams as he grew older. He played with the y- YMCA. 
He also played on other teams outside of his school. He also played um, on a team for a, a short period of time when he was in college. And he played um, just all over the neighborhood. Oh, that's great. Did you ever play him? Uh, I played him just a couple of times. You know, I remember um, I was not the most, uh, let's say, I, I did not really know a lot about playing ball, but I knew, you know, you're supposed to shoot it and try to get it in the basket. So I would go out every now and then with him and his sister, and they would get the biggest laugh off of that, you know, that I was actually trying to play basketball. But, um, you know, I, I was never any any challenge to them. At what age did uh, Justin begin to enjoy playing basketball? He, I would say he enjoyed basketball in middle school. Um, prior to that, he actually liked to play um, softball. So he was on a little softball team for a while in the neighborhood. And then as he went to middle school and he found friends that would play basketball with him in the neighborhood, there's a park right across the street from us and it has basketball hoops in it. And they would go there every day to play basketball. That's wonderful that he was outside being active. So many children today, they just sit inside and, you know, watch TV or play video games all day long. And it's fine to do that a bit, but you need the balance. So that's great that he was out there being active. Yes, he was. Justin was blessed with having both a mother and sister who loved him very much. Justin's mother, Denise, is happy with her decision to have had her children 10 years apart She explained to me that she felt that both of her children had many years at home with her alone, and she found that very beneficial. Justin's older sister enjoyed the first 10 years living as an only child, developing an incredibly deep and close bond with her mother. Justin then had 10 years of being mothered and loved and spoiled by two females until his older sister went off to college leaving him to enjoy his time alone with his mother. They enjoyed living almost as only children for a good chunk of their childhoods, which Denise feels deepened her bond with both her daughter and son. This seemed to work for her family and was proven with their closeness. During these years, Justin and his mother were so close that his friends would continually tease him about being a mama's boy. Justin would smile and hug his mother, tell her how much he loved her, accepting this teasing term as one of endearment and love, never being embarrassed by this truth. Yes, Justin was a mama's boy. Oh, Justin was the light of all of our lives. She was very protective of him. She loved her little brother. Um, Her and her cousins would always let everybody know that, you know, Justin was her brother. So um, she was very protective of him, and um, she was just, Justin admired her, and she admired him. Denise was originally from Virginia, as were her children. They all moved to Massachusetts when Justin was a toddler. Although they didn't have a big family circle in Massachusetts, they were constantly in touch with their family back home. With the huge, close circle of friends that Justin had, 
he never felt lacking for family. He had developed these close relationships and made a family for himself despite the distance between his blood relations. Denise was always so proud of how easily Justin made and kept close relationships. I would say that Justin had at least eight to ten very, very close kids, um, boys that were his friends. They called themselves like they were, you know, brothers. Um, They were friends from, I would say, elementary school through Justin's death. Um, They were so close to him that, you know, even after Justin's death, they come to see me and they still are mourning his loss. I still feel special with them because they, you know, even um, 10 years later, they are still in contact with me and they still talk about Justin. They still cry about Justin. You know, Justin was like the leader. He, Justin went to a high school of about 1,600 students and he was one of the most popular kids there. Justin did not attend Harvard. Um, Harvard is actually right down the street from where we live at. Justin was actually a student at Salem State College, which is about 40 minutes outside of Cambridge. Justin grew up seeing the Harvard campus every day on his way to school. This campus was in his neighborhood, and he always knew people that attended. It was part of his community. When Justin first went to college himself, he attended school 40 minutes away and went to live on campus. Unfortunately, his mother, the woman he loved so much, broke her leg. And this mama's boy did not hesitate for one moment to pick up and move back home to tend to her. Family was the most important thing to Justin. He moved home, but continued attending college, commuting every day. He was a remarkable young man, son, brother, friend. Everyone knew that. Studying information technology, his days could often be long and full, but he never let his mother down and always had her as a top priority in his life. Denise, in turn, was committed to Justin, doing whatever she could to help him succeed, not only in school, but in life. She made sure that Justin was respectful and kind, loyal and loving. Justin was the kind of person that seemed to move through life rather effortlessly. He was continuing his education. He had friendships that had lasted over a decade. He was close with his family. He was a good, decent man. Someone that any mother would be proud of, and Denise certainly was. Justin went to Harvard's Kirkland House on that day in May and never came home. Harvard is easily known worldwide as one of the most prestigious schools. Tragedy can strike anywhere. A murderer can make a choice to kill, even somewhere that may give people a false sense of security. And poor Justin was the victim of tragedy that day. He had no idea a girl he knew was setting a trap for him, luring him into a situation that was beyond his control. This is the story of Justin Cosby's murder. 
tell us about the terrible day that you found out that your son had indeed been murdered. Uh, that morning, I was home with Justin. Um, I was actually in the kitchen, and he was in the room where we our computer room. And all of a sudden, I heard his voice call out to me. And he said, hey, Mom. And I was like, what do you want, Justin? And I heard this voice. He said, I love you. And I closed the door into the refrigerator, and I walked in the room, and I stood in the doorway. And it wasn't unusual for him to tell me he loved me, but it was just something that sounded so special about that that morning. And I stood there and I looked at him and I said, are you sure you love me? And he turned around and he looked at me and he got the biggest smile on his face. And he said, of course I love you. Get out of here. <laughs> so we kind of laughed it off. Um, later on that evening, I thought he was here. Um, his room was right next to mine. But I had been home all day. And all of a sudden, a bulletin flashed across my television set. And it said, a young man had been shot down on the grounds of Harvard University. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I had no idea that young man was my son. After I heard that bulletin, I was in shock. Um, I had decided to go out for a while. And I walked out my room, and Justin's room was right next to mine. And it was quiet, but for some reason, my bad boy was there. So I didn't say anything about me going out because sometimes he would go out and he'll come back and he won't say anything to me. But I knew as soon as he found out I was gone, he would call me on the phone and I would let him know where I was. So as I proceeded to go to a friend's house, I couldn't get the bulletin off my mind. And after I got to my friend's house, I told her about the story that I had heard. About an hour later, I received a call from his girlfriend, who had also been home with Justin. And she asked me, had I heard from Justin? And I was asking her, um, I told her no, and asked her why. And she just said, um, I haven't heard from him in a little while. He went out. and so. I was a little thrown by that because he always kept in touch with his girlfriend. And I called his phone. And as soon as I called his phone, it went to his voicemail. So I figured he would either call me back or he would text me and ask me, you know, what's up, mom? But I didn't get any answer back. I proceeded to go home after being at my friend's house for a few minutes. Her husband came in. And she told him that I was worried about Justin. And her husband just kidded with me because he knew I was worried what. And he's like, when is the last time you heard from him? And it's like a couple of hours ago. And so she said, oh, so you're so worried about him now. What are you, you going to call the police and tell him, you know, your 21-year-old son is missing after you've just been about two or three hours since you heard from him? So we just kind of laughed it off. And I said, you know, I need to go home. So I started to go home, and then I received a call from one of his friends, and he told me that um, something had happened to Justin, and I needed to get to the hospital. And I asked him, you know, 
where was he? He said, I'm at the police station in Cambridge. And so he didn't know what had happened. He said, I'm here, but the police won't tell me what happened to Justin. So all I could think of, maybe she was in an accident or something. And I asked him to put the police officer on the phone. The police officer picked up the phone and he would only tell me that something had happened to him um, and I needed to get to Beth Israel Hospital and there would be someone there to meet me. So at this point, I'm riding down a winding um, road and in the middle of that road, I was just so thrown that I made a new turn. And I got to the hospital and when I got to the hospital, I was met by some police officers in plain clothes. And they told me, they said it had been a shooting at Harvard University um, that evening. And all I could, I could not believe it. I just could see the bulletin in my mind or hear the bulletin that I had seen on TV. And I'm saying, you're not telling me that my son was involved in this shooting. And they said, your son was shot. So from that point, um, everything in my life changed. As the evening went on and we, you know, I went to see Justin. Um, he was unconscious at the time. And I saw a doctor um, after I left out his room. I was just like, so, you know, I could, un it was so unbelievable to me. Um, I ran into a surgeon in the hallway and I asked him, was Justin going to be all right? And he looked at me and I never would forget. And he said, uh, I can't promise. And he said there was a bullet that he had gone into his stomach. And because he had run, the bullet had traveled up to his heart. So the next morning, about 3.19, Justin passed away. And my whole world blew up. Denise, having been greeted by police officers at the hospital, being shocked that this was happening, expecting a doctor to inform her of her son's injuries, was needless to say beside herself. Never imagining for even a heartbeat that her world could collide with this kind of violence, catastrophe, devastation. Tragically, her life changed with that one phone call. It would never be the same again. The police urged Denise to call a family member to be with her. She immediately thought of her pastor and called. Unfortunately, she was unable to reach him. She called her sister next, Justin's auntie, who immediately called Denise's daughter and then quickly raced to the hospital. A friend arrived as well. He was a police officer in Boston, and Denise felt it would be a great comfort to have him there perhaps being able to help navigate these new waters, one where savagery whirls in and demolishes the existence she once knew. And of course, the phone chain began. Friends and family hearing the devastating account that Justin had been shot, 
They were all asking the same questions. How? Why? Struggling to comprehend this news. The news that was ripping Justin's mother's heart out. This senseless tragedy. This son, who had never been in trouble in school, had never had a fight. This good kid. This child of hers who she knew had been diligently working hard to set himself up to have a beautiful life. Denise's respectful, good-hearted, good-natured son was lying there in a coma and the prognosis was not good. And then he died. He was the type of person if his friends got into an altercation, you know, I, I heard him one time and I always laughed at him because they were trying to tell him, oh, I, you know, I have a beef with this person and that person. And he told me, you know, I don't know why these guys keep calling me if they get in trouble, whatever. He said, I don't have time for that. You know, I'd rather look good for the girls. I was actually standing by his bedside and watching the monitors as fast as they would rise, they would give him blood. And they would drop. Um, I was told later that the hospital had used up over half of their blood supply that night trying to, you know, trying to save Justin. Half of their blood Um, supply. That is that is an incredible effort they put in. They did. And they, you know, I felt like they did everything that they could. And, you know, I will never forget that night I was standing right beside his bed. The surgeon was there. There were nurses there. My sister was there. Uh, my friend that I had called to come from the, you know, come come to be with me. He was there. Um, and when I saw that monitor flatline, I just, you know, almost passed out. I ran out the room. Um, and then just to hear that my son had passed away, it was just unbelievable. And then it was unbelievable also because I never forget on my way home that morning, um, as I was driving home, people were going on about their daily lives. You know, they, it, it, they, it hadn't affected them, but people were going on about their life as though nothing had happened. In my mind, my whole world had stopped. But that just showed me how small my world really was. And when I got home and Justin's friends started to come around and, you know, I I remember his girlfriend um, was at the house and she opened the door and I just told her he's gone. And um, because of the location that it had happened at, Harvard University, um, the news media, got into it, and it was all over the news. So my quiet life had turned totally upside down. There were, um, like I said, there were news people coming. There, my phone did, you know, just run off the hook. Um, it, was, it was incredible. About 1 o'clock there, you know, I remember... Um, somebody knocking on my door and when someone looked out the door, they said, um, the media is here and they want, you know, a statement from me. And my friend that was a police officer had advised me to go ahead and speak with them because he said, other than that, 
they would come back one by one until, you know, somebody gave them a story. And when I opened my door and I lived in a high-rise apartment building, I would say there were 20 or 30 people that's outside the door with microphones everywhere. And, you know, again, because of the fact it was Harvard, they needed to, you know, they wanted to get a story. At this time, when you have just been confronted with the fact that your son has been murdered, an earth-shattering moment that will be replayed over and over again, a murder that has been exploited by the media, a young man shot dead on Harvard's property, a boy who was not known to police as he had no record. On the contrary, he had an excellent reputation in the community. Justin, this unknown person, was initially so wrongfully depicted in the media. Because this was such a high-profile murder, Denise was suddenly being thrust into the public eye. Media camped outside her door expecting something from her. They were hoping for something. What they got was a mother who was advised by her friend to give a statement or the media would never go away, never give her peace. The peace she so desperately deserved so she could quietly grieve for her son. This mother used up all the strength and courage she could muster. She took a deep breath and simply spoke the truth to the media saying, my heart has been broken into a million pieces. Denise had no idea what had happened to her son yet, no details anyway. She only knew one fact at the moment. Her beloved Justin had been murdered. Oh, you know, um, as time went on, then I found out that this was a setup by some kid that had, this young woman that had, was a student at Harvard University. Um, two weeks before graduation, uh, her boyfriend had lived at, on campus with her uh, during the school year, and her boyfriend was not a student at Harvard. But because he had lived on campus with her, uh, people thought she was. There has always been speculation that Harvard students have a smokeout at the end of the year. This smokeout is a time when the students gather and smoke pot. This girl that Justin knew from the community, the community he lived in, he had met her at a local party. She asked Justin if he could bring her and her friends some pot. Justin was not a drug dealer. He made a decision that day to make a few bucks, never thinking it was going to be a dead wrong one. So he called someone he knew and found some marijuana and headed over to Harvard's Kirkland house. He didn't know that this girl was hanging around with someone that was involved in criminal enterprise. So yes, a drug transaction of sorts was going to take place. Nothing that good students everywhere aren't potentially part of. Dropping some legal marijuana off for someone you know. The media pounced and were trying to portray Justin as a thug drug dealer. They criminalized and demoralized Denise's son's memory. All for a story. 
got there, one of the um, the guy had enticed him into or, or encouraged him into coming into the Kirkland house, the dormitory, to exchange it. And as he got down to the bottom of the stairwell, um, I understand there was a little room there that um, when when he got down to the bottom of the stairwell, this guy had solicited two of his friends to come from New York to help pull off what they said was supposed to be a robbery. They pulled the gun out on him and asked him, told him to give him the weed. So they had no intention for paying him anything for it. Justin did not have a weapon or anything, but he refused and then he started to run. And as he broke away from them, he started to run up the stairs. And as he started to run, one of the guys um, told the friend that was holding the gun to give him the gun. And they started shooting wildly. And as Justin was running, he was shot in the stomach. And he continued to run until he was outside and then collapsed and asked the passerby to give him some some water and told them that he had been shot. And how did the police investigation go once, you know, you knew sort of what happened? How how did the police interact with you and, and what did they do? Well, I must say that um, I was pleased with the way that the police um, handled the case. Um, once I, I spoke with the police, I was very honest with them. They were, you know, seemed to have been honest with me. They told me, you know, after they had went on the campus and they had, you know, asked people about, you know, Justin or, you know, and asked about this guy that was living on the campus. And they said everyone that they met that knew Justin had nothing but something good to say about him. They said, you know, Justin was very likable. Justin went to high school right across the street from Harvard University. That's 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 how close we are. They walked through the Harvard yard to get for a shortcut to get to the high school that he went to. So he knew students. This, like I said, this was part of the neighborhood. So you know, I think that they probably chose Justin to ask him. Could he get some weed? Because he did not look like a thug. He was somebody that, you know, was trustworthy and, and and you know, just a regular kid in the neighborhood, someone that would not get other one, other people in trouble. Right. So it was, um, you know, the, the, the relationship that I had with the police turned out to be um, a good relationship because I felt that they did everything possible to try to find out exactly what happened. Justin's killer was not supposed to be on Harvard's property. He lived with the girl that attended Harvard and was about to graduate. She was on a full scholarship. Her boyfriend that lived with her used all of the amenities and because students got used to seeing him there, living with his girlfriend, People just assumed he was a student, but he was a far cry from that. And this girl now, uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, her involvement and what happened to her 
afterward and through the investigation? Um, her name was Brittany Smith. Um, she was, like I said, two and a half weeks before graduating. Um, she was at Harvard on a full scholarship. Uh, she lied to the police uh, when they first went to investigate about her boyfriend. Um, she had told them that he was someone, some other name that somebody that lived in South Carolina or, and, you know, um, from what the, the detectives told me that when they heard that story, somehow or another, uh, they did not believe it. This girl, the accomplice, the one who set Justin up, continually lied. The police felt badly for her in the beginning, worried she was being taken advantage of or controlled. When everything came out, it was clear how involved she had been in Justin's murder. This girl ended up spending two and a half years in a woman's prison as an accessory. She never graduated from Harvard, having been charged as an accessory to Justin's murder, with only two weeks to go before graduation. What a waste of a Harvard scholarship. Denise, quite rightly, feels the girl should have received a longer sentence. However, the police wanted the shooter to be convicted, and they needed her testimony. The shooter received life with no chance of parole. Of the other two people involved in Justin's murder, one of them received a 9-12 to year sentence and has since been released. The other criminal involved in the murder was sentenced to 18 to 20 years and is thankfully still in prison. One less person on the street that law-abiding citizens have to worry about. How does it make you feel, the sentence the girl that set your son up got? So, I do feel that, um, you know, she also lost the opportunity to receive a degree from Harvard. And I don't feel like it was enough time for her to have actually served, but hopefully she has learned a valuable lesson. Um, it doesn't do my son any good because he lost his life. And did she know what was going to happen? Like the robbery, well, I know, mean, not the murder, of course, but the robbery? Well, she had to know because the boyfriend had to listen to his friends to come from New York, and they came and they loaded the gun in her dorm suite. So she was there when they loaded the gun and they were supposed to be going out, uh, you know, they were supposedly going out to to do this robbery. So she knew that. And instead, she stood by and, you know, she, she let them do it. And after the shooting occurred, from what I understand, the boyfriend called her and told her that he said it was a fight. And they, you know, somebody had gotten shot and she went and held a cab for them to go to back to New York on the bus that evening. So she got the cab for them. She went, they went to South Station, which is the local, you know, train and, and, and bus station here to um, go back to New York. She purchased the tickets for them and they got on the bus. So, yes. You know, yes. she had she had more than enough to do with it. 
the terms of her plea bargain convicted her of being an accomplice and allowed her to not have to go forward with a trial. Instead, she had to testify and give all of the evidence that she had been withholding. She finally admitted that she knew her boyfriend had shot Justin. This is, you know, my son no longer has a boy. He was 21. He's gone now. So I have decided to become his boy. And I want to make sure that everyone knows exactly who my son was and what happened to him. And while I don't condone what Justin did to sell in a pot, I think we can all agree that the punishment did not fit the crime. A group of criminals gathered and took his voice, Justin's voice, his ability to continue to show his love for his family and friends, to continue to be a mama's boy. They took his life all over some pot. Now, what did you do after the murder? Well, after the murder happened, um, as I said, my whole world had dropped and nothing was the same. And, you know, every parent loves their child, but you always think that you love your child the best. But it wasn't until I started meeting other parents that had lost children to murder and hearing their story. And since that time, I've become an advocate um, working with other parents that have lost children to murder. Because I realized this story is not just my story. This story is too many people's story. It may not happen the same way, but to lose a child is just something that a parent never gets over. So um, different people deal with it different ways. Some people can't find themselves to go. They can't go on, you know. Some people... um, they turn to drugs or alcohol or whatever, and, you know, just, just feeling like life is not really worth living. But I wanted to keep my son's memory alive. And I want to, as I said, let others know who Justin really was, because he did not deserve to die the way that he did, and he deserves to be remembered for the wonderful young man that he was. So I worked with um, other parents. I have also written a book. Um, I decided to write a memoir. My memoir is Murder at Harvest Kirkland House, A Mother's Worst Nightmare. And I wrote on that book almost 10 years. Um, And I just had it released last year. And I am very pleased to say that my book has been accepted into the Library of Congress, and I've done um, a book tour um, throughout the South last year. Thank God, just before the pandemic, um, you know, came. And what would be the most important thing that you would tell parents who are going through the devastation of the murder of a child, what, what's the number one thing you would give them as advice? To keep the memories alive. All we have are the memories that our children, that we have from our children. You know, whether good, bad, or indifferent, 
that is what made our relationship with our children. And now that they're gone, uh, you know, even the little things, I, you know, sometimes it will put a smile on my face. Denise had private grief therapy as well. She found this very helpful. She says she was lucky enough that the grief counselor would come to her home once a month to support Justin's group of friends. And it was amazing because they would all show up and continued to do so for two years. This group of young men grieving together along with their best friend's mother, the friend that was so special to all of them. They were a family of their own and their loss is so deep that they stepped over the boundary that people often have about not seeking help. A prideful notion that sometimes people feel thinking they can go it alone. But they went together, joining as a group, as they did when Justin was still with them, hanging out together with their second mom. This shows something about what an amazing person Justin was. His friends were there not only to mourn him, but to support each other as they always had. And incredibly, to support Justin's mother. What a strong and wonderful group of young men Justin brought together. So tell me, where would someone be able to purchase the book you wrote? Okay. Um, So my book is Murder at Harvest Kirkland House, A Mother's Worst Nightmare. You can purchase my book by going to www.survivingmurder1.com. www.survivingmurder1.com. But thank you for having me. It's my pleasure, and thank you very much for being here. All right, have a good day. And you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Denise and some others have a writing group. They support each other and express themselves through the written word. It is therapeutic for them. They say that no one stands alone. They write about ideas and loss. They have a weekly prompt they use to start their creative flow. This is another interesting way that grieving parents support each other through their loss. Here is a reading from Denise of one of her writings. A rum that is all too familiar to me. Yes, I know this rum. This rum is all too familiar to me. These walls have stories to tell. I have been in this place far too many times. So this room is decorated elegantly with fancy draperies, pictures, flowers, and mementos. This room disturbs me. I hate this room. Yes, I know this room. I know it well. Most of the time, this room does not discriminate. This room has no name engraved on its front door. This room has no race. This room is ageless. This room denies no gender. This room does not care what your class or status is, who you are, or where you are in life. This room does not care what your political views are or what connections you have. Everyone will pass through this room at one time or another. Yet sooner or later, we all will know this room. The photos that adorn this room change from week to week, sometimes day to day. 
Sometimes the faces are far too young to be on these walls. Old and young, dressed in their Sunday best, stand telling stories, memories of a loved one who is gone. I've been in this room with my mother and my father. I've been in this room with two of my brothers. Lord have mercy, I've been in this room with so many others. Yes, I know this room. I know it well. The date is May 23rd of 2009. I walk through the doors of this room, and my heart begins to beat double time. Chills run up and down my spine. On this day, the room threatens to crush my heart like no one ever. The one I'm here to see today, his voice has been silenced. And that voice, that presence, cannot be replaced. On this day, my feet feel as though they have weights attached to them forcing me to take baby steps as I walk into a space I had thought I'd known. Until this day, when that room brings up pain like none I've ever experienced. Step by step, I make my way toward the front. Slowly but surely, I get there. It hurts so bad. I cannot look into its face. I never did like that room. Every time I've gone there, Someone was dead. But on this day, it's my baby. I'm filled with so much pain and then go all numb. My heart bleeds, wounded beyond repair. Memories of our bonds of love compete with the stark truth that lies before me in that casket. I cry and cry until I have no tears. I still cannot cry and it has been years. My son, Justin, Devin, Cornelius, Daniel Cosby, was the victim of a shooting. A senseless crime took him from me. That day, sitting before my child, lying dead, nearly drove me insane. Murdered on an Ivy League college camp in the middle of rush hour. Every day, I wonder how in the world this could have happened. Sometimes I feel as emotionless, helpless, and lifeless as my child was that day before me in that room. My child, my baby, I cried, why me? Wells of pain, heartache, and heartache echoed off the walls of that room. And I know they reached the heaven. I always taught Justin to reach for the sky, to believe. Now Justin has taught me to reach for the sky. And in his honor, while I fight for justice and devote myself to healing, for myself and for us. I'd like to thank everyone for being here this week. I have been getting such amazing feedback from the families that tell their stories here. This is all thanks to you, our listeners. I greatly appreciate your support and dedication to Mourning the Murdered. While producing the podcast, I need many tools to be able to bring you quality content each week. I now have an affiliate link with Amazon. And by simply clicking on the link before you make your Amazon purchases, you are helping to support my podcast. Once you click on the link, you will be redirected to your Amazon page, ordering as you normally would. There are no extra costs and no fees. Just go to my website, morningthemurderedpodcast.com, and click on the affiliate link. 
You can also, as always, support the podcast by sending a one-time PayPal contribution or through Patreon, you can donate as little as $1 a month. All of the links can be found on morningthemurderedpodcast.com. So your help is only one click away. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys.